Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic, found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Ms. Pat's early career sounds a little bit like the role Sally Field played in the 1988 movie about comedy Punchline, except only Ms. Pat grew up in a bootleg house in Atlanta, became a mother of two by the time she was 15, sold drugs, was shot twice, and arrested multiple times, all before she met her future husband at the age of 19. Her husband brought her stability. Her comedy brought her joy and a newfound purpose in life. How she made that transition, including a big break opening for Cat Williams through her first time appearing on radio's Bob and Tom show, through 2015, where she appeared on NBC's Last Comic Standing and Comedy Central's This Is Not Happening. All of that, and how far Ms. Pat has come just in the six years since her first trip to Montreal as a new face in 2010. She shares it all with me now, so let's get to it! Well, Ms. Pat, um, it's good to finally uh, talk to you for more than a few minutes. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me, Sean. I had to go back and check my notes to make sure whether I met you first in Montreal or in Boston. I met you first in Boston. In Boston, when yeah. When you were doing the Boston Comedy Festival contest. Yes. And then uh, and then a couple years later, you were here. In, we're at uh, Montreal for Just for Laughs, and you were a new face. I was a new face. In right 2010. Yes, 2010. Did you feel like a new face? Oh, I felt. Uh, you know what? You, you, you think you know everything when you a young comic. I came over here and, and got my sock rocked. <laughs> I realized I wasn't, I realized I needed some work when I left Montreal. Oh, really? Yeah. So, yeah, I felt like a new face. Cause you know, the whole thing with Montreal is people say you come here, you're going to blow up like it used to be back in the day. Right. And you're going to do this and that. And nobody even looked my way. <laughs> I remember you writing an article in Boston about, you remember the cookie crumb joke I had about my daughter? And you wrote, she came a long way to tell people she had cookie crumbs in her baby panties. And I was like, what the fuck that mean? That joke was funny. But I really didn't know how to write a joke. I was like, he don't like me. Oh, no, I've always liked you. <laughs> me as a young comic, you don't, you, that's just what I thought. You, know, yeah, no. you wrote up something on everybody. Yeah. And then when the... I was on Last Comic Standing, you wrote something. I said, well, okay, well, maybe he's writing a little bit, liking me a little bit more. <laughs> Because you wrote something on Last Coming Standing, right? Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> I was just a no, young, I've, written, I've written something about you every time I've uh, had the pleasure you. of seeing you. Yes. I just don't get to see you that often. No, I don't come out to New York much. I need yeah. to. I need to. So what is the difference between when you were... How do you feel about being here at Montreal now, six years after being a new face? What's What's the difference... Uh, it's almost like you graduated from high school. You, you, I'm becoming an adult in comedy. It's a big difference. I mean, this time, um, people, I feel like I am a part of something instead of saying, well, I'm just out here looking at everybody else, you know, doing their thing on the outside. This year, I really felt like I was a part of something. I, I mean, Comedy Century invited me out. I did a show for Kevin Hart. You know, people know who I am. Uh, I got representation this time. You know, shit, I got more representation than I need. <laughs> you always almost like I'm about to go on trial. I got so many white people on my team. <laughs> but, um, right. you know, I feel great do this you, time. Do you have a situation where, where even though you have representation, people are coming up to you every day here at the, uh, at the hotel and trying to get you to sign more deals? Um, not, I mean, I've, I've had people, you know, offer for me to, uh, come their way, 
but you know i'm good i mean i'm about loyalty so you know not much but you know here and there a few little conversations but i don't think i'm really worth stealing right now (laughs) (laughs) plus i'm pretty heavy so it's gonna be kind of hard to just pick me up and run off with me what how much of the difference in the six years between this montreal and your first one how much of the difference in feeling part of the community now is based on uh, just your development as a comedian? And how much of it is based on the fact that you're still based out of Indianapolis? So you're not in one of the major scenes, New York or L.A.? I think it, uh, I think it's more like based on my comedy. People know okay. my, my work. They know I'm a storyteller. They know it's 99% of the shit that I say is true. So I don't think it's it's really where you live. It's, I think it's like I used to be a drug dealer. So you can have a crackhead across town. If he like your dope, he going to call you up, right? He's going to pass a lot of traps to get to your crack. So I always try to measure comedy like my crack world. If it's good, then people going to come. Okay. All you got to do is just keep cooking the good dope, and people will eventually come. So I got a great manager, John McDonald. He helped me cook my crack which is comedy right. into way better six years from where i was at six years ago but now we don't cook crack for real that's just an example y'all right. <laughs> don't be calling the police on my mid-pack cooking crack with a manager <laughs> <laughs> so you, so you don't feel like you need to be seen by the community all the time no i mean i'm married i've been married for over 20 something years i got four kids two of them still at home you know a lot of comics go and they sleep in a one-bedroom apartment on somebody's floor i'm married i I own two homes i got bills to pay i can't tell my husband to quit his general motor job for a fucking comedy dream i gotta say hey okay we got money now quit the damn job (laughs) because it's health care and a lot of shit is involved yeah so uh being in the been in Indianapolis has helped me a lot. Well, a lot of people like, you can't make it in Indianapolis. I say, well, shit, if, if you good, they'll come get you anywhere. Right? Right. I truly believe that. A lot of people like, I got to go to New York. I got to go to California. But then to me, you just get, you go there and you just become one of the comics that's already there. Unless you motherfucking setting yourself on fire and running off stage. I mean... I mean, it, it, to me, it just makes stuff harder for comics. I've known comics to move out there and struggle, and now they're beginning to get stuff. But I couldn't do that because I was already married with a family. Yeah. Well, so uh, you've talked about being a drug dealer, not just mentioning it in passing mm-hmm. just a few minutes ago, but you've talked about it on other podcasts and on stage. Yeah. Um, when you were younger and you were dealing drugs, is that what you thought the rest of your life was going to be, or did you have this dream of being a comedian or did you have a different dream at the no, time? Uh, I mean, I didn't, I, ne- <laughs> I never dreamed of being a drug dealer, but I, ne- I never fucking hell thought I would be a comedian, but I thought drugs was going to last a long time. I really did. Cause the money comes so fast. You living a life fast. You having fun. And when I was in it, I was like, Oh, I don't want this to ever change. And then, you know, as you get older, you can remember I started selling drugs at 15. And as I started to get older. And you were already a mother at that point, too. I was already, t- I had two kids at 15. Yeah. So by the time I, um, I started to grow a little bit more, but probably about six, 17, I have a son and I was like, I don't want my kids to do what I'm doing. How can you, how can you tell your kids don't be, don't do drugs and don't be a drug dealer, don't do jail. And they see the police jacking you up all the time. I was like, no, nah, I got to make a change. And my change was for my kids. 
So what was the first thing you did to change? To I change went out and again? found him a daddy. Okay. <laughs> I, I mean, I was just tired, and I started to pray, and I said, Lord, I said, I'm tired of this. I'm tired of selling drugs. I'm tired of this bad relationship I'm in. I need a change. I, just, I said, I'm ready. And literally, I prayed to God. I said, Lord, I've asked you for years to change his heart. Fuck him. Change me. And I woke up and didn't love him anymore. Then I started to be, it's like somebody took a fucking blanket off my head and I could see. And, when, and where did you where did you first see your husband? I met him at a, a comedy spot. Okay. Yeah, Bruce Bruce was hosting. And we all went, there was a, it was a comedy slash lip singing battle. And he came in with a friend and I was like, mm. I was like, okay, you just answered my baby daddy call. And so we started talking and he was so intelligent and so smart. He just got out of the military. And I was like, yes. Somebody can help me spell shit that when I can't spell. <laughs> and we've been rocking ever since. I wouldn't trade him for the world. Cause I mean, he never judged me. Mm-hmm. He, you know, he just say, Pat, you can't, you can't live like this. You can't do stuff like this. And it was hard because I never had anybody in my life to tell me shit. I practically, you know, I pretty much raised, raised myself, but I started to listen to him and stuff. I, I got my life back on track. Uh, when you were at that show where you met your husband and Bruce Bruce is on stage at the comedy spot. I was not a comedian. No, you're not a comedian. Did you watch Bruce Bruce and the other acts? He was and think, hilarious, and yeah. Think, and think, oh, that Mm-mm. could be me? No, never. It was, I mean, I mean, you heard, my, you heard me tell this story a hundred times. It was all because I went to the welfare office and the uh, caseworker thought I was funny. That's the people told me I was funny all the time. Like I've always been able to say funny stuff in conversation. But when I met this lady, she wouldn't give up. You should do it. And I was like, bitch, you're just trying to get me off welfare. Leave me alone. (laughs) But she was just she just stayed on me. Did she know what the comedy scene was like? No. So she didn't know where to direct you. She just she just said said you should do this. And she the first person that mentioned to me, she said, you got stories like Richard Pryor. And I didn't, I don't even think I really knew that Richard Pryor was a comedian, but I had seen his movies. Okay. Cause I was like 17, 18. Mm-hmm. So I had seen his movies and, uh, I went home. I think we had still had dial up. No, I went to the web office where they do the job program and I looked up Richard Pryor. I went home. I can't remember. And I looked him up and I was like, Oh, I could do this. It's just talking shit. I do right. this every day. <laughs> and, and he talked about doing drugs and talked about doing what really. It really trouble. caught my eye with Richard Pryor. He grew up in a that brothel, that whole house. Right. I grew up in a looker house. My granddaddy sold moonshine, and I was like, "Wow, a lot of this shit is what I've been through in life." So I um I just started to look at Richard, and I was like, "I think I'm a storyteller." My next door neighbor was a big comedy fan, and he would say, "You, you know," he started to tell me, "You got stories like Richard Pryor, like mm-hmm. a caseworker," and I just said, "Okay." And I wasn't scared. To, and at first, I was scared to tell all my business because, you know, you don't want to be. I didn't know that it was okay to be vulnerable on stage and not really <laughs> give a fuck what people think. But when I opened up. There's some, there's some people who won't who, do who it. still don't. After, and they've been doing comedy for 20, 30 years. I think that's the best shit because you know what? Your fans never forget you. And people tell me all the time. Some people don't like it. Some people do like it. And it healed me. It helped me as a person to be able to open up like that and tell those stories. Because, I mean, there was times I cried over that shit. But I'm cool now. I'm good now. You've talked it out. 
I've talked it out. <laughs> yeah. And without paying somebody a hundred dollars an hour. In fact, they pay you. Yeah, they pay me. <laughs> and so I just got a GED and they pay me. <laughs> so that first time uh, that you went on stage, was it? Did you go right back down to the comedy spot, or what did you do? I went to the place called Pub, a little spot called Pub in Atlanta. Okay. And they did like open mic there, and um. I, they laughed at me, and I was like, this is it? I'm a comedian. You know the fuck I was doing? And I, my husband could not keep me out the comedy club. I would go, every night I would get dressed up and go. And he was like, he thought it was a fact, you know, stop this right. shit. You always creating stuff, you know, don't be doing this. And I was like, I like this. And I told him, I said, I think I found something I like. And I tell you this, this comedy almost landed me in divorce court. Really? Yeah, and I told my husband, I said, I would, I cannot stop. I said, this is what I was born to do. I said, I found myself. And he didn't understand it. Was he coming to your shows or was Never. he staying home and watching the kids? Staying home watching the kids. Never. He's like, you coming home smelling like cigarettes. You just out there partying. You don't know how to be no damn comedian. And the more he told me, I didn't know how, the harder I worked. Did you did you go to counseling together or no? I just told him. I said, "Look, I'm not quitting. You can take your fat ass kids and you can take them with you. And uh, I already got two sets of kids, so you take your kids and I keep my other set, and you're going by you going going about your business." What was the first time that he saw you perform? He's the first time he saw me. Uh, probably when oh, the only time he ever saw me. I opened for Cat Williams in, at, <laughs> in the KFC Center in Louisville, Kentucky. Mm-hmm. And he, um, Cat was like, your husband should come see you. You're funny. I was like, my husband ain't going to never come see me. So he said, call him. And my husband, he got on the phone. He said, I want to get you and the kids out here. Do I need to get you a plane ticket? And he was like, no, we live in Indianapolis. He said, well, drive down here and see your wife. I pay for the rental car and everything. And he paid for everything. And I felt so good because I was in front of 20,000 people, and I had a really good seat. <laughs> and he, he'll go on the road sometime, like mm-hmm. Madison, and he'd been to Chicago, but he don't come in the club. What did he say after seeing you in the arena in Louisville? Uh, he, Nothing really. He just said you did good. He was uh. like, you did good. But the kids told me, my kids was there. And they was like, mama, the whole time he was ducking down in the seat like, oh, what is she bomb? What is she bomb? And he he's, he was like, you're not bad. You're not bad. <laughs> what year was that? that? Uh, Probably about four years ago, four or five years ago. ago. Really? That recently? Yeah. Yeah, that's the only time. So now he'll come, like, if he's off, he'll come mm-hmm. visit me at a club, but he won't come in the club and watch me. Have you ever watched the uh, the 1988 movie, Punchline? No. With Sally Field and Tom Hanks? Uh-uh. It's, uh, a lot of comedians like to talk about it and kind of rip on it because it tries to portray the stand-up comedy world, but it, like, gives the uh, the comedians in the comedy club, they have a locker room. And what people like to make fun about that, but um, but it's about uh one of the main plots is Sally Field is a housewife, married to John Goodman and has kids, and sh- but she has this desire to be a stand-up comedian, and John Goodman as the husband is like, no, nah, what are you doing? Oh wow, I'm about to get yeah. that. I'm I've never heard of so. it. So you you talking about your experience with your husband reminded me a lot about that. Yeah, he didn't. He wanted me to stop, and I tell you, when I get on something and I believe in it, I I stay with it. 
And I told him, I said, I said, this is my dream. I found myself. And I told him, I said, I would never stop. I told my husband, I said, when you play softball for your job, you was horrible. But I still bought you $300 bats. And I sat on that, on the bleachers. And you never got on base. You never got on base. You had a three and four hundred dollar bat I bought you, and you never got on base. You you ran the first base one time because the pitcher hit you. <laughs> See, I never, and you the most horrible player on the team, and not one time did I ever tell you to stop. So it's like the least he can do is be supportive of you. Yes. And he was like, that was just with my job. I said, still, you thought you was going to be a real softball player. <laughs> He was horrible. He was horrible. When when did you realize that um, you were going to be able to make a career out of this? Um, um, when I just probably two years in, you know, my whole thing, I said, oh, I just want to be a feature ad. If I can make $500 a week, that's really good money. Because, you know, that you, you $500 a week. In cash is really good money to some people. My husband had a good job. I was like, that's great for me. And so, uh, and stuff began when I moved to Indianapolis and I got a manager, I realized, wow, that, you know, this could really be a career. Cause I mean, that was time you all, as a comic, you always think about quitting. And that was times like I was like, well, they say I'm too urban. They say I'm too black. And, oh, they say I'm too loud. I, they, they seven o'clock crowd won't like me. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you do have, it's a lot of beat down in comedy too. So that was times I thought about quitting. And then when I moved to Indianapolis and there was no urban scene, cause I was all urban at first. And when there was no urban scene, I really wanted to quit. But Are then it's just crackers and it's crackers and there's, Morty's. There was a, okay, there it's Morty's place. too. So um, those were some hard times for me. But I started to learn how to really develop and write a joke, mm-hmm. and I realized then I, I could really have a career. Well, I, I was getting better. Well, being in the Midwest too, from a lot of comedians I hear, it's uh, it's important to get in good graces with Bob and Tom. I am on Radio. Bob and Tom. They're great yeah. guys. They helped my career. Oh my God. They, they gave me a boost, a really good boost in my career. They fans was fans before anybody was fans, before I ever done a podcast or anything. How did you, how did you, uh, convince them? I to, came to, to Montreal it, to as a new face okay. and I was with Ref, I was with, uh, Ralph Harris and he's mm-hmm. really good friends with them. And he was like, man, Miss Pat lived there. You should really go and have her on. And I went the first time and I heard all of these rumors about Bob and Tom and, you know, just bullshit. This was not true as I can see it. And, um, people are like, you shouldn't go on that station. They racist. They why? I'm, I don't give a fuck. I'm going on this station because people say it's a good station. So I go on there and I'm bombing because I'm scared of them. Mm. I was so fucking scared. And they, you know, they bombing Tom. They're famous. They very, right, they're very. They're syndicated. Yeah. So I'm bombing my ass off. And my friend texts me. He's like, bitch, you bombing. And I was like, I know. He was like, tell him you got shot in the titty. I was like, tell white people you got shot in the titty. He was like, fuck yeah. And I told him I got shot in the titty. And oh my God, the whole interview just turned around. <laughs> Because they had never met somebody who was shot in the titty, I assume. The whole interview just Did you say around. titty on the radio, or did you use a different phrase? Well, I did say titty, and now they have a note every time I come in. Don't say titty, Miss Pat. <laughs> what did they say? tell you to say instead? Uh, boobs. <laughs> boobs. <laughs> got a bullet in the boobs. Yeah, got a bullet in the boobs. So now I, um, 
now they, they, they're like family. I can just call them up. Hey, I need to stop by. I haven't been on in a while because I've been so busy. Literally, I drop my bag, change, my, uh, wash my clothes, or get them out the cleaner, and I'm back on the road. How many weekends a year are you on the road? Um, I think last year between about 40, 45 maybe. I'm working a lot. Yeah. I'm working a lot. I'm blessed. I'm blessed. I cannot complain. More clubs are beginning to give me opportunities now. Was was Bob and Tom the most influential thing in getting you road work, or was there somebody or something else? that Bob and Tom's that... show was in the Midwest. In, in their brackets, I could go. In their areas, I could go to, like, Modesto, mm-hmm. St. Louis, everywhere they was at, I could go and, and have all, an audience. And there's lo- lots of funny bones throughout the Midwest. And... Well, I wasn't doing funny bones. I was what doing, doing? The other clubs. Um, any, other, any B clubs. I just started getting funny bones in improv. Okay. But, you know, like, I could go in, in Bob and Tom Market and go in a hotel and set up a show and sell 400 tickets. So they they great they great and, and I mean I can't complain one bit. What do you remember about your first road gig? <laughs> Going for free, just to go to see what it looked like, you know, outside of Atlanta, and to see how other people laugh at jokes. And um, I would follow my friend Double D around a lot. He's a comedian, <clears throat> and I would just go for free. Were you opening for him? Or? Not really. I would go and do five minutes because okay. that's all I had. <laughs> so you would drive five hours to Tampa, uh, Jacksonville, just to do five-minute guest spots. Hmm. The, the, road, the road is brutal. I mean, any comic would tell you that. You have to really get out here and hustle and run to get anything. You cannot sit home and think you're going to... Uh, be lazy and be a, and become a professional comedian. It's not gonna help. It's not gonna work. Is it? How much harder is it doing that when you also have kids and a husband who's who's not the most supportive uh, of your comedy career? Well, he was a supportive of the kids, so it was really hard because, like, when I at first you always go to open mics in mm-hmm. your town, so I would go to an open mic in Atlanta almost every night. My I'm now I'm out to like. Two and three o'clock in the morning, because Atlanta got a lot of little spots. So I get home, and at the time I had my four kids, and then I had my sister four kids. So I had eight kids at the house that I had to get ready for school. So I'm down there getting get kids ready with my eyes shut. I will sleep during the day and do it do it all because I was determined. So it's very hard. Then you had to cook and clean, and you know your husband come home from work and. Get the kids in the bed before you go out. So it was not easy at all. That makes you so strikingly different from all of the other new faces who show up here in Montreal. Because How? a lot of them are in their 20s. They don't have much No responsibility. Life, no yeah. responsibilities or life experience. Yes. So you have, you come up here and you have both. Yes. I've been a mother since I was 14, so <laughs> yeah. I mean, I didn't, I, I didn't have it where I can go smoke weed and 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 sleep all day. No, I had, to, and also my kids was in. Um, I had two. Some of my kids was in tutoring, so when they got out of school, they take them in tutoring. And then I had a, uh, my youngest kid was in private school. They didn't, you know, everybody went to different schools, so I had to really hustle. And I mean, there was days. Then I had a little vending thing at the dome where when it was Falcons game, I would literally finish my vending, and go take a shower and go to open mic. And they had to get up and get all those kids ready for school. Hmm. 
It's not easy. And especially for a woman, especially, you know, that's why a lot of women quit when they have babies and get married. Because, I mean, the, most men don't want that responsibility. But thank God, you know, I had, a, I had two, three older kids and my husband was so supportive. You know, he would bitch. But one thing I know, those kids was going to be in bed and they was going to be taken care of if I didn't put them in bed that night. How old is the youngest kid now? My youngest is 16 now. Okay. And I've been doing comedy 14 years. <laughs> yeah, so he was two. So it's not as much of an issue now to be on the road. Oh, they don't want to see me now. Yeah. <laughs> when I come home now, he's like... Did you make any money? <laughs> they called me. I was like, I'm in Canada. Don't call me. I just need you to take a picture of your credit card and send it to me. <laughs> no, you don't. I'm fucking calling my phone for my credit card. What do you want my credit card? We want pizza. I'm in Canada. You gonna call me and ask me for my damn credit card and I'm in Canada? Your daddy's sitting there with a card. Well, he, uh, my husband played broke. He tell the kids, I only have the money to pay the bills and feed you. I don't have money for nothing else. So he always played broke. They said, Poppy broke. I'm like, Poppy is not broke, y'all. So they asked him for nothing. They asked me, my daughter called me, uh, she's like, I need to pay my Hulu account. Or I need to do this. I don't care where I'm at. She just called me. Just, so they learned to take a picture of my debit card. And I look up and I got a chum. I'm like, what the hell is this? It's like a, it's identity theft is what it is. That's pretty much what it is. I say, y'all got to stop using my fucking card like y'all white kids. Only white people get their card, their kids' visas card and say, hey, just don't, spend, you know, spend responsibly. Do any of your kids want to go into show business or Let comedy? Let me tell you something. My fucking kids is hilarious. My daughter, if she was a comedian, she was, she's only 18, hilarious. Do you hear me? She had me cracking up every fucking day. My other day, she was outside playing Pokemon. Mm-hmm. So she's outside playing Pokemon, and this car pulled up on her. We live in a uh, a really nice neighborhood in Indianapolis. And we're the only regular black family. You got people mixed, but we're the only all-black family. <laughs> so she pulled up. This Somebody pulled up and started looking at her, mm-hmm. and they kind of followed her. So she cut through the backyard, and she went and told her daddy. She was like, Poppy, this man was following me in the car looking at me. And um, he was like, well, why you didn't come get me, baby girl? And she was like, well, what are you going to do, Poppy? Uh, what was you going to do? He's like, I was going to fuck him up. She was like, what, with your gripple? You know the thing that you pick up stuff off the floor old people have? <laughs> Oh, so I fell out laughing. She's like, we don't have guns. He's like, we got knives in the kitchen. She was like, Papa, them, pop, them Paula Dean knives don't work. So she is hilarious. Oh, you have Paula Dean knives? Yes. Let me tell you something. <laughs> I had a Paula Dean joke. When she said the N-word mm-hmm. and they put all her shit on clearance, fuck that. I bought everything. <laughs> My kitchen is Paula Dean down. I mean, I bought knives. I bought pots for mm-hmm. $10, $20 at Walmart. And I, I That's wrote business a, savvy. Hey, I like when white people say the so N-word. So high by low. Yeah. When they, when they say the N-word and they rich shit go on sale. <laughs> and they was like, people was like, you going to buy that? You damn right. Duck Dynasty Cups, when he said that shit about gay yeah. people, they was like two cents or 10 cents each. I loaded the but I still got Duck Dynasty Cups. My so fucking kids look like the KKK. <laughs> hey, a deal is a deal to me. Uh, them cups can't call me no N-word. And them some good-ass pot Paula Dean made. Hey. Do, you, do you ever have to explain it to guests who come over to the house? No, because I got Confederate plates, too. So I used really? to have, I don't have them anymore. I used to have Confederate plates. A crackhead sold me. And uh, I had a Thanksgiving dinner. And my mother was like, well, what the hell are you doing with this? I said, oh, excuse me. 
I got this when I was a drug dealer, and it was a 52-piece for like $10. Bitch, you better cover them up with collard greens if you don't want to see that flag. <laughs> I don't, hey, that day. Hey, a deal is a deal with me. I, I mean, buy it. You know, you got to watch your your money. You got to watch your budget. And yeah. I mean, I'm a person that still do layaways. I do, most people, you know what a layaway is? Yeah. Most people Where are like, you, what is a layaway? You get it and then you just, you get it and you just pay a little and you promise to pay some more. Yeah. You yeah. sort of like rent it. Yeah. No, no, you get it and it stays there. Okay. And I, when you pay it all out, you get it out. So I do it like every week. I do. I mean, like every. I, that's how I buy all my nieces, cl- my niece kids' clothes, my grandbaby. I oh, I, I love layaways. No. We're trying to get rid of the middle class with layaways. I mean, when they when well, they, they stop layaways, the middle class is by keeping all the money. Yes, but they look. They made Walmart stop layaways, and that hurt middle class people. You don't agree? You can no, go I put agree. your TV on Lailway at Walmart, and then they only do the shit around Christmas time. You know how many people hard you broke Walmart when you stopped Lailways? I could go and put a TV on Lailway and know I had me a TV coming in 90 days. Now, hey, I can't just buy TVs. My son shot up his TV. And so, <laughs> what? He, he did Why a dri- did he do that? I don't know. He did a drive-by on his TV. <laughs> And so <laughs> he had a was BB he, gun. Was he watching TV or was he playing a video game on it? I, I he was playing a video game on it, but his friend gave him a, a high-powered BB gun, uh-huh. and so he just did a drive-by on his TV. <laughs> and so I had that, that that same TV I had on. I that hope you one. don't let him get your debit card. Oh no! Let me tell you what I did to him. I said, "You shot my fucking TV up. You're gonna go buy." So I made him get a job at Chick Fil A to get me a mm-hmm. discount. But when he got his checks, <laughs> to get I you ma- a discount. yeah, I have to have a discount. I love Chick Fil A. So now I made him buy his own TV, mm-hmm. and he paid like five hundred dollars for, and he paid me back for my TV. He did the drive-by. On. I said, "I bet you won't do that again, will you?" <laughs> did you Did you let him uh, buy it on layaway from you? No. No, I made him pay me back my four hundred and something, five hundred right. something dollars, and I made him buy his own stuff for TV. So I'm like, you shoot up the shit you buy, don't shoot up the shit I buy. So in the in the last few years of your career, you've uh, you've been on Last Comic Standing. Yes. You've done um, Comedy Central's This Is Not Happening. Yes, thank you, Ari. I love you. And uh, and now this uh, this week here in Montreal, you've been part of Roast Battle. Roast Battle, yes. Um, what do you what what do you want to do next? Uh, what I want to do next is I want a sitcom. That's what I want because I think I think I got unique. I think I'm unique. Yeah. I know I got so many fresh ideals. Um, I was just I mean it's it haven't been it haven't it, it I'm sorry my tongue is getting tired. It has not been a black woman lead on TV in I don't know how long. Not pulling the race mm-hmm. card, but hey, you, black men are popping up with shows everywhere. You know, white women's got shows, right. white men's got shows, black women want a voice too. And I think it's a voice that everybody would like to hear. So I would like to have a t- I would like to have a TV show. I have a book coming out next year, hopefully. It got okay. pushed back from this year that I sold about my life to Harper Collins. So my next dream is to get a TV deal. Would the TV show be semi autobiographical based on your life or it would, would it be, be? Yeah. Pretty much based okay. on my life, it'll you know it'll be it'll be more like um, you know like like I have a joke to say I have a set of Medicaid kids and a set of Blue Cross Blue Shear kids, <laughs> <laughs> just showing you how you raise kids from mm. when you was a teen to now. Right. So yeah. 
Well, I kind of see like elements of Roseanne, uh, the Brady Bunch. Yeah. You mix, <laughs> I won't have you got... that many. I won't have that many. Just four. But you got your like... kids and then his kids and. No, he ain't have no kids. Oh, okay. He's just having by me. Okay. So it's more like uh, Roseanne. Right. I think I'm um I'm outspoken like most like Mod and most outspoken women was back then. So I mean that's my next step. I hope I can get a TV show, a half hour comedy. I think it would be great. What? I think people would love to hear how I raise my kids. <laughs> I'd love to see it. I mean, you're always very engaging. Well, thank you, thank what's, you. What's um? I ask all of my guests this. What's what or who has been uh has given you like the best advice to help keep you keep you going, keep you inspired? My manager, John McDonald. What does he tell you? You know, he 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 taught me patience. And when you a drug dealer, you don't have patience. Everything go everything is my life has went so fast until I became a comedian. This is the slowest my life ever moved. So, uh <laughs> <laughs> you're just relaxing on a sofa outside in the nice summer breeze in Montreal. But um he taught me patience and you know, he taught me, you know, he would be he would be honest, Miss Pat, you're not ready for that. When I would say, "Why they ain't fucking with me?" He's like, "Well, you're not good enough." Or, not not really not you're not good enough. He said, "You're not there yet. Stop trying to do shit that you're not ready for because if you get it and you're not ready, you're going to look even worse." Right. So, my my manager taught me the most. Yeah, that with, I, with I, his comedy I, game. I feel like that's something that so many young comedians have to be told because they want everything now. We all want shit now. You yeah. know, you, you don't, some of them don't even want to work hard. I mean, it, we all want it now. We want the TV shows. We want the half hour special. We want the hour special. And that's what I was like. Well, Comedy Central never gave me an hour special or a half hour special. Honestly, I, if they would have came to me three years ago, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have been ready. And I'm glad they didn't. I'm just now getting ready to, I'm just, I think I'm just now in my career where I think I'm ready to, to do a really good hour. So we you got to stop. You got to be patient. Stop trying to just. I tell people all the time. I say you so focused on blowing up. Handle the business part mm-hmm. of this shit. I was talking to a comedian just in Denver. I was like dude. Do you have a website? No. Well what are you talking about? The industry ain't fucking with you. They don't even know where to find you at. Get a website. <laughs> yeah. Get some card. Work on your set. You mediocre. I'm great. No, you're not. I thought I was great too until a motherfucker say, "Uh, no, you ain't shit." Yeah, it's so surprising to me. Like even just this week, as I was looking up the new set of new faces, some of these people didn't have a presence online. It's like yeah. hard to find them. It's like how are and you supposed it, to have a career? If, and you don't even if, have a website. If you're not treating, it's a business. You know, they think business. their websites is Facebook, Instagram, and and uh. Uh, yeah, it used to be my, it used to be MySpace. They're like, well, if I have a MySpace page, I'm. No, it's not. It's not, dude. It's, right. If industry came looking for you, they not. They really don't want to fuck with you if they got to go to Facebook and say, "Hey, I need to talk to you." No, nobody wants to talk to you like that. Have it where people can. If you don't have res- representation, at least they can call you. Right. Get a website. I don't give a fuck if you ain't got no dates on there. <laughs> I had a website when I had no dates. I've had my website since I started. <laughs> I just say, well, hey, I'm gonna need it one day. Right. One day, somebody gonna book me. And you want to make sure you have. Uh, have I that. bought my name. Yeah, you want to make sure you have that before somebody else snaps. Dude, it I up. bought my name and and everything. And I say, you know, we so quick to say what we want. Like Kevin Hart said, it great. Everybody want to be famous, but don't nobody want to work hard. Right. That is the realest shit. And I see so many people hating on Kevin Hart. I said, but you cannot get mad. This dude worked his ass off. Hustle. He hustle. hustle. 
Yeah. You even got sneakers out of it. Hustle yeah, hard. I won't sneakers. buy me a pair too because I've been naked. They, they look good. They really do. Um, so what's the on on the flip side? What's the what's the very first thing you tell a new comedian? Uh, be patient. I mean, work on your so the shit. the same thing that your because, manager tells you. Yeah, be patient and work on your shit. Because, I mean, your your comedy is, is like your mall or like your convenience store. That's what people going to eventually shop with you at. So get your shit together. Don't, don't be worried about what everybody else is doing. Don't try to, you know, say, I want to be, I want to shoot a special. I, I, you see so many comedians with DVDs and CDs. I was one of them Big motherfuckers merch tables. Too. Big merch table and ain't talking about shit and ain't, ain't going nowhere. You just dare to sell the shit. People won't even remember your jokes. Work on your set because in the end, that's where your real money is going to come from, your act. Not from selling no DVDs or no T-shirts. <laughs> well, Ms. Pat, uh, it's been a delight well, over, over the last me. eight years, from the very first time I saw you to now. Even if I don't get to see you as much as I would like, it's, well, it's I been fun to watch you work on your act over these eight years and to see you develop and, and mature as a comedian. And now I really want to see that TV show and read that book. <laughs> so, uh, so Hollywood, get get on this. Get. Talk to Miss Pat. She's in Indianapolis. Yes, yes. Hey, but everybody who rep me is in L.A., so it's easy to find me. <laughs> so fly her out. That's right. Fly me out. All right. All right. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much, Miss Pat. Okay, baby. This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. Theme music by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com, for more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean O. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Last things first. Last things first.